Thank you for that introduction, Nate. Thank you for that. You, it's fine. You can stop applauding now. Uh, I, my name is Patrick Dunn. I am the associate pastor at Elm City Vineyard, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. If you haven't had a chance to meet yet, um, it's possible you haven't been around to my backyard gathering, or I haven't seen you at the afternoon service, but I'm looking forward to getting to know you, even through this particular format. We're beginning this new series as we are kicking off the live stream and we're also kicking off Advent this week, a new series that we are calling Great Light. Now, I think of Advent as this time of a a kind of spiritual preparation before we celebrate Christmas, but in that way, it's also kind of like, it's like this kind of half hour before sunrise. The sun is such a great and powerful light. It starts to give light. It starts to actually help you see things, other things more clearly, even while it's still below the horizon. So traditionally, the the four weeks of Advent represented on the Advent wreath are associated with four virtues, hope, peace, joy, and love, which we, we kind of hold on to as we are waiting for Jesus. And while we are waiting to see Jesus on Christmas, though, he is already giving light to those virtues. We are already, already starting to see them more clearly in light of Jesus. So we're going to begin our series by talking about hope today. So we're, we're, just gonna, we're just getting to know each other a little bit in this, this new format. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an icebreaker question that you can maybe pop an answer to it in, into the chat uh, on YouTube if you're on there. What's your favorite vacation destination? Pop an answer in there. I know this is kind of like artificial. I know it's hard to pick just one. Sometimes people like try to help you narrow it down a little bit. Have you ever been asked uh, like, are you more of a mountain person or a beach person? I don't, I always say mountains because like I get sunburnt really easily at the beach, but I, I don't know. Is that, are those the only two kinds of people in the world? I mean, what, what else am I supposed to say? I'm, I'm kind of a swamp person, like just sort of a, a marshy flatlands is kind of my thing. Like I'm sort of a, a bog guy. So I don't know. Sometimes when we talk about hope, even we present it to people as if there is kind of like these two options, either you're for hope or you're against hope, which I mean, if those are your two options, I'm presuming that you are in favor of hope. But what kind of hope is a true hope? That's the question that we really want to get to. There, there has to be more to it than that. What more is going on when we hope for things in God's light? That's what we're going to be talking about today. But first, let me hear from the chat. Favorite vacation destinations, even from people in the room. Jesse, favorite vacation destination? Scotland? Wow. Okay. Okay. My wife is from Costa Rica, not a vacation destination. That's just going back home. Other... Tyrese, that counts for Tyrese. Good job, Tyrese. Costa Rica. Seamus said national parks. Excellent. Cincinnati. That's all. That's where Matt's from. I think that was maybe a Crosby. White Mountains, okay, well, kind of up in New Hampshire area. Beautiful. Acadia National Park up in Maine is amazing. Beaches, just in general, New England beaches. There's some... Oh, not New England beaches. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Anywhere in California, okay. Barcelona, excellent choice. Very good, Colorado. Dominican Republic, beautiful. Look, we... When we are in this time, we are experiencing this moment of 
going through this kind of like a pandemic holiday time where it can be hard to even sort of just imagine these places, this, this world out there, even harder to just imagine feeling free to pick up and just go to one of them. We might even feel a little hopeless at times thinking about that. But that feeling of hopelessness is, is not actually because we have stopped believing that these things exist. We have not stopped believing California is still out there. Scotland is still out there. Barcelona, Cincinnati is still out there. We know that those things are out there. We're just, we're just no longer sure whether we can get there, whether we have it, the, the ability to reach that place. It's not the destination that has changed. It's, it's our path to the destination, which has become difficult to imagine. So there are just so many obstacles now. And, and on a really bad day during these times, we might start to wonder whether we are ever going to get back to these places at all. There is something similar, I think, going on in our lives every time we talk about hope or think about or experience it. Occasionally, it is true. Occasionally, in very, very serious cases, sometimes in serious cases of depression, it is possible people might stop believing that there is something good out there entirely. That is, does happen. It is very serious. But for most of us, most of the time, even when we would describe ourselves as feeling terribly hopeless, it's, it's not really like we have stopped longing for something good in our lives. In fact, it's precisely because we believe that there is a happier thing for us, a happier world out there that the hopelessness hurts so much. We, we could have good things, but life just kind of keeps throwing up these obstacles in front of us. If only I had a different job. If only I had a, a perfect partner. If only I had more money. If only I had chosen a different major in college. If only I had gone to college. If only I had more energy or less pain. Or only if there wasn't a pandemic going on. If only I, I hadn't made this decision or that decision. Or, or if only I hadn't, didn't have so many people in my life depending on me. If only I just wasn't so lazy or so anxious or so damaged. We don't doubt that better things exist, that there is something good for us out there. We just doubt that we will ever find our way to it. When we are feeling hopeless, it's, it's not that we lack a destination. We know deep in our hearts that there must be something better. We can, we can feel it in our guts. We dream about it at night. When we feel hopeless... What we are really missing is the map, the, the road, the, the way that will get us from here to there. And so in the face of our hopelessness, if, if we are having a really good day, if, you know, high motivation, high discipline, we just got a really good night's sleep, I ate a salad yesterday, like if I'm feeling on those good days, I start to strategize. I start to make plans and lists of tasks and, and a vision board. I start to set a course for my life to reach that dream. Hope is, is never something that we merely have. It is something that we do. We act out of this confidence or this dependence in a strategy that we have for ourselves. And in that sense, we, we put our hope in something. A new degree, a new job offer, a new mentor, a new therapist, a, a new habit, a new discipline, a new idea, a new politician, a new medication, a new self. Sometimes we even put our hope in anger and cynicism. We believe that the best path forward is to just see the lie behind every path. If we could just tear up the whole old map, we would finally get to a correct map underneath. 
So we're going to spend the rest of our time here this afternoon looking at a short passage from Psalm 33, if you would like to read along with me, that begins to speak to exactly this feeling of placing our hope in a strategy. So here's how that passage begins. This is Psalm 33, beginning in verse 16. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a a vain hope for victory. And by its great might, it cannot save. Let's pause right there, because if, if we're honest, when we read this, don't we, you kind of stop and think, you know, having a huge army isn't like obviously a terrible strategy for a king. If you wanted to win some kind of victory, it might help to have more horses than the other side. I don't know. So how is that a vain hope? It's not that, that these or any of our strategies are, are dumb or that any of our strategies are necessarily evil. The psalmist, I think, is, is not asking us to kind of give up these, these realistic strategies in favor of just blind faith. In fact, the, I think the psalmist is asking us to be even more realistic, to, to really take an honest account of what is happening in this situation. If, if the destination that you long for is peace, then armies and chariots just aren't going to get you there. They will only get you more wars. They might get you kind of a temporary, unjust, unstable feeling of comfort, but not peace. If the destination you want is power, well, armies might get you there. But you're going to discover that you actually haven't reached any kind of destination. You, you can have all the power, all the money, all the land, and you won't actually feel like you have arrived. Because power is, was never really the thing that your heart had been longing for the whole time. So let's, let's keep reading in Psalm 33, continuing in verse 18. Truly, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. These verses are, are sort of like a, a logical next step. So you might even be saying to yourself, like, fine, I, I get it already. You're a pastor. You're saying that I should obey God and it will bring me good things. That seems to be what these verses might be saying. You want to avoid death. You want to avoid famine. Fear the Lord and hope in his steadfast love. And sometimes that's kind of where Christians stop. God will give me a new map. Maybe, maybe it's even the Bible. Maybe it's the church. Maybe if I follow these rules and do good things, I will reach my destination. I, that's the secret to being happy and successful. But that's not what I'm saying, and I don't think that's where the psalmist ends up either. I think there's even a step beyond that at the end of this this psalm. We are not Christians because we think Christian faith is like a foolproof guide to living your best life. Instead, Christian faith is a response to what happens when that dream destination itself gets up and travels to us, to where we are at. God is not the path that you take to something better. God is the something better. We don't need to find our way to him. We need to be found by him. He is on the way to us. And he is bringing all of these good things with him. And that's the promise that Psalm 33 ends with. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, 
even as we hope in you. It's not that God will necessarily give you more victories than a bunch of horses. It's that the steadfast love of God which falls upon us is the real victory. It is the thing we have been hoping for without being able to name it. So imagine your your dream destination, whatever it is, Costa Rica, a non-New England beach, uh, Disney World. Imagine that you no longer have to, to figure out now how you're going to get the time off and find the money and save up to get your family to Disney World. Imagine instead that, that Disney World has just kind of packed up. It's, it's taken everything, all the costumes, the magic kingdoms, the space mountains. It's just thrown them all in a box and it's driven up to Connecticut and Mickey Mouse is knocking on your door saying, look, I know life has been hard. So we've come to you. You don't have to come to us. We're just going to set up here now. Disney World is just here in your backyard. That's something like the God's pursuit of us. What makes our hope true, what gives us a true hope, is when we put it in something dependable. And what makes God so dependable is that we aren't merely waiting for him. He has already come to us. And even this whole Advent thing, I mean, while it's a great way to prepare for Christmas, it's just, the whole thing just hits differently in a world where Jesus has already shown up. We have already seen Jesus. We are not merely waiting for something. We are asking to be given the hope that is the presence of God now. That feeling, that feeling that God is for us and is dependable and is powerful and is at work, that that feeling is not what will help us achieve our dreams. That feeling is the kind of arrival of a joy that has always been at the edges of our dreams. Now here, Preachers, preachers caveat here, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should stop having strategies and plans and whatnot. It just means that those things won't get us very much on their own. With God, in God, all our plans, all our education and mentors and medication and even our anger can find its proper place. It can be, find its proper use in God's hands. But without God, all, all those strategies will have us just living a life that is one long, desperate search for something. That we are just never quite getting where we want to go. Sometimes when we say that God is the fulfillment of all our hopes, we imagine that that means that we should simply want nothing more than to, than to sit here in church 24-7 singing praise songs. And, and look, God can give us great joy in doing that. But our hope doesn't limit us to just that. Our hope is is not just something we have, it's something we do. It can incorporate our whole lives lived alongside God's own life. As the psalmist says, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Where the living God shows up, even in your house today, he brings the kingdom with him. He brings hope and peace and joy and love and new purpose and a new calling. And bringing all those good things is not something God will just do once he gets around to it. It's it's not like a later thing, a lower item on God's agenda. Those things are him. 
He can't help but bring them. They are the aroma of his presence. They are the effect of what it is like to have God near. So we don't have to worry that somehow we are going to get God, but not the peace and the joy. Because he cannot be separated from them. So as we wrap up here, because hope is, is not just something, is something that we do and not just something that we have, I want to share a quick invitation with you. I want to encourage you, even right now or today or sometime this week, to reach out to someone, a friend, someone dear to you by text, phone, email, meet up, however. Reach out to someone and share a hope that you have for what God will be doing during Advent. Maybe you are simply hoping for this new experience of God in a new way. Maybe you are hoping for something that maybe feels smaller somehow. You're, you're waiting on some news from a sick relative. Maybe you are waiting for like a window to open up for you to go back home. Maybe you're waiting for some, just some warmer days. Whatever it is, that's fine. We're, we're engaging with God by naming these things out loud. We're holding these things, we're, we're taking these hopes and we're holding them up to the light. We are then watching to see what God does with them. We are helping one another see where God might already be at work, beginning to shape our hearts around these hopes in light of his very presence. So take the risk of bringing someone else into the light with you. Name what it is that you put your hope in to someone else. Let me pray for us as we close, and then Nate will lead us into communion. Lord, we don't uh, hold on easily to hope. Sometimes because we don't easily listen to your voice, we are, we are often distracted. But Lord, you are so gracious and so warm, so willing to continue in your pursuit of us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pierce the fog of our hearts, and shine your light upon them. Give us confidence that you are near, Lord. And, and when you are near, give us confidence that that is all we will ever need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.